Hello, everybody. My name is Lat Mackey, and this is Sequence Break. Today, I am uh, really excited and joined by uh, the one, the only Mr. Evan Grill. Um, I've Evan is one of the first people I ever met when I started out on this journey of speedrunning, and he's uh, he's incredibly knowledgeable and has helped me mod a bunch of my consoles. And uh, he's going to join us today. Hey, Evan, how's it going? It's going well. <laughs> Thanks for being here. Uh, first, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit, when did you start playing video games? How did you, what was like the first experience with it? So the first video games I remember playing um, were at my friend Frank's house and he had a Nintendo, a NES, looked just like the toaster model that you have there. Um, and then when shortly thereafter, I asked, I was like, I, I want video games. And my dad, in his uh, infinite wisdom, decided the more expensive, the better. So instead of buying me an NES, he bought me a TurboGrafx-16. <laughs> oh, my God. What the hell is uh, to do that? <laughs> I, I don't know. I think at the time he saw the like demos and said, well, this one looks better. The graphics are there's more colors on the screen and the graphics are better. Um, this is the one I'm going to get. We also had a $2,500 computer in the mid 80s, which is kind of crazy when everyone else had, you know, $600 Commodore 64s. No kidding. What was your uh, first game you had on the TurboGrafx-16? Well, the packing game was Keith Courage. And then I want to say it was either Bonk's Revenge or um, King of Casino because my dad liked casino games. Sounds fair. And then do you remember, yeah. like, what did you, uh, were there any games that, like, while you were playing with your friend on your Nintendo that kind of sparked the uh, the itch or the bug? Um, we used to play, so we used to play the Super Mario Brothers games, but the one I remember really distinctively playing with, with Frank was um, TNC Surf Factory. Oh, yeah. Good music. Or TNC Surf Designs, yeah. but yeah. Um, and then when, then from there, um, my grandmother at a at a garage sale found a an Atari twenty six hundred with about fifty games, and she also found a Commodore VIC twenty, and that Commodore VIC twenty actually, I don't know if it had a bad game port. Looking back on it now, maybe I didn't understand how to load games because <laughs> it wasn't just plug and start the thing up no no you had to type a command in there to start the thing (laughs) yeah but because i didn't know how to start games um the games that came with it were meaningless to me but i ended up starting to program oh very cool that was the first time i programmed anything and a lot of it was copy and paste out of the out of the old magazines and stuff but i did learn to modify things and it would change the graphics a little bit and stuff like that and now I have a degree in computer science and engineering. That's so awesome. I remember you had, if I remember correctly, it's a very basic version of basic on the VIC-20 where you had to use yeah. line numbers and the whole thing, right? Yeah, it's, it's um, my understanding is it's licensed from Microsoft because Microsoft oh. was the license holder for, for basic. And so it was licensed from Microsoft. So for the most part, it was a standard basic. It just had its own commands for interfacing with like the memory and stuff like that. Vic 20 is one of the few consoles. My, we actually have our childhood Vic 20 and I, I should, we should I should try to figure out a way to stream that at some point. <laughs> Cause I, I'm pretty sure it was RF going out of there and everything. I don't think it even had composite or anything like that. I, I believe it does actually have composite. The 64 has S video, but I believe you can get composite out of the Vic 20. Oh man. That'd be if great. not, there's definitely mods for it. Awesome. So you mentioned when you kind of got the itch to also start changing things and modifying things and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, we're going to be talking a little bit about some of the things you can actually do to a Nintendo later on. But I'm, when did you start actually trying to when did you get into hardware and, and, and soldering and all those kind of things? So I took when I was in college, I took a course. The entry level engineering course requires that uh like all engineers have to take it. And it's, it's basically how to work in a team. Pardon me just a second. Yeah, no problem. Um, and what we had to build was we had to build a hovercraft that would follow a black line on a white surface. And that's the um, intro class. (laughs) 
that's the Android lens. Now, we, we didn't have to design the controllers and stuff like that. That was um, all using the Lego Robotics kits. Mm, cool. Um, but I had to be able to... It was not sufficient to turn on the hovercraft fans and just let it go. Hmm. Um, I needed to be able to have the controller turn the left and right turning fans on and stuff like that. So I bought a little fire stick soldering iron. If you don't know what fire stick is, it's the like joke term for the soldering iron that just plugs directly into the wall. Oh, nice. Okay. I was like, I didn't know what you're talking about. Start a fire. <laughs> yeah. Um, I bought one of those at Radio Shack and I bought a little uh, prototype board and I just was like, I can figure out this soldering thing. And I soldered for probably two hours without any sort of fan, just inhaling fumes and I got a headache, And but it worked. Um, the only part that didn't work was I bought a uh, potentiometer to control the power of the lift fans and that those lift fans were way more powerful than that potentiometer can handle. Oh my God. So as soon as we turned it on, it started smoking. (laughs) Oh wow. Just like out of a movie. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so we had to change up our plan. Um, but yeah, we ended up getting a good grade on that project and I started watching videos on YouTube at that point that had soldering in it. Um, but it wasn't until, maybe a year and a half or two years ago that I really got a good soldering iron and learned to do a lot more of the advanced soldering techniques. Um, I learned the value of flux and all the other good soldering techniques. Well, uh, that's pretty cool. What a great way to uh, start. Is there, do you have any like inspirations early on from YouTube that uh, maybe you'd be willing to share? We could talk about it in the resource part, but he, is, is there anybody early on that kind of, Hey, that looks, that does look like something I should try. Um, there's a YouTuber named great Scott. He does a huge amount of videos on building your own things with electronics. Um, he's German. Um, there, uh, Voltar, we'll probably mention him like eight more times this episode, (laughs) but, uh, his stuff didn't start coming around until after I had started, got it, started doing a little bit of my own soldering, but I, I definitely learned some better ways to do things watching him. And then uh, just some, I mean, there's a lot of good and bad examples out there. Uh, Don't watch (laughs) solder. Don't watch people do soldering for cars. Oh, interesting. Okay. Uh, You can get a decent idea of how to combine, how to match two cable uh, match two stranded wires together and stuff like that. Um, But, they're not doing typically electronics. They're doing just getting two wires to connect together. Um, And, and they're not usually using fine tools to do it. They're They're not having to get on a circuit board, you know, that has a a target that's about, you know, millimeters. So, okay. Very cool. So, okay. So that's a really great intro and kind of some background on where you're approaching and where you're coming from for this. Let's talk. So the the idea for this episode and what I wanted, to, why we're starting with the NES was the first game that I ever speed run was Super Mario Brothers three. And there's kind of a bunch of there's a not a bunch, but there were a few steps that I had to take to kind of figure out how first of all could I submit a run, how do I record a run, but more importantly, like let's start with how will my Nintendo that I have right now that I just bought you know from a retro store or at a garage sale or wherever I got my Nintendo, how do I get it on the TV? So let's let's start with the basics of the basics. If I just wanted to play my Nintendo on a modern TV, we'll start with modern TV. What is the easiest? Uh, what are some of the non-destructor? I shouldn't say destructor, but non-actual uh, internal modifications that I have to do. To to get this thing on the TV. And so, can I just plug it right in? <laughs> it depends on which model you got. Okay. If you got the top loader versus this toaster model. Um, the top loader in America only outputs RF. And so if you have a modern, modern TV, so RF is the old, yeah, the, the screw in cable jack. If you have a modern, modern TV, it's possible that's not an option for you anymore. Um, But it might work. Um, That should work to get it onto the TV. Now, if you have this toaster model on the side of it, it actually has a composite video and a single mono composite audio out. 
on the side of it. For those of you who are listening, I'm describing this on the video. We will put it up on YouTube so you can actually see it, but those are just composite signals. I'm gonna reach over here and unplug something yeah, real please. quick so I can show something on the stream too. Now, if you're one of the cool kids, you might have a uh, you might have one of these. Hey yo, AV. So this is the AV Famicom. So the original Famicom also only outputted RF, um, but this one was kind of really late in the Famicom's life. And they decided to get a little experimental. And you might be able to see on the back here, <sighs> so they cool. actually put in a multi-out like the Super Nintendo, the Nintendo 64, and the GameCube would have later. Um, was the Super yeah. Nintendo out when that came out? Is that one of the reasons they had that port at that point? Uh, it must have been. Okay. I, I have to imagine. The other thing you'll notice, the other difference you'll notice is that this is flat on the top, whereas the American one is curved. Um, that's because this one had to support the Famicom Disk System RAM adapter. And for those so, of you in the States who aren't quite familiar, this is what, you know, the Famicom cart compared to yeah. a Nintendo I cart. Yeah, there you go. Oh, perfect. Got an EverDrive too. So yeah, yeah. you can see the differences. Oh, I didn't know you had a copy of One Paku Graffiti. I'm trying to own a copy of everything I speedrun, so. That's, a, that's not a bad idea. Um, you never know when a flashcard's going to wig out on you. Yep. I have the reverse adapter here somewhere that takes the big giant NES games and, and puts them on here. But So the video straight from the Nintendo or the Famicom might work on a modern TV. It's not a guaranteed thing that it'll actually work and actually be something uh, usable. Yeah, the composite video should. Oh, composite video. Okay, gotcha. Thank you. The RF, it, it should if your TV has an RF, has a screwed gotcha. adapter. Um, if it doesn't, then you then you deal with it um that said if all you want to do is get it on the tv you can definitely get composite hdmi adapters if i thought about it i would have one out i have one on the, in the drawer over there they're like 20 bucks 15 bucks they're not great um they, but they work <laughs> they work uh the one thing the one big thing you'll notice uh with them is that they treat 240p which is the how the Nintendo generates its video signal as 480i because it's assuming that you're passing it like an old VCR or something like that. And the, for the most part, you won't notice a big difference, but the one thing you'll notice is anytime your character flashes, like if you get damaged and you flash to show that you're invincible, it will either decide to look at one field and then your character will disappear <laughs> or it will look at the other field and your character won't flash at all. Wow. <laughs> kind of heavy. Uh, yeah. It's just a weird quirk of how they handle it. But if all you want to do is play Mario on the TV, it's going to work just fine. Um, that said, there's a lot more you can do to them. Let's uh, yeah. let's, I think it's important that one of the things I'm from, I haven't tried out and I, I'm hoping I, I'm actually thinking of purchasing one just so I can try it out. But is the retro chink, which is kind of an interesting um, solution. If you, if we start with just, if we're talking about just composite, not modifying the console at all, is, is that something that could be used in this situation and what's the benefit of it? So the retro tank absolutely will work. Um, it does properly receive the 240 240 P signal over the composite. Um, so you can totally use the RetroTink 2X. Don't use the new, you won't be able to use any of the new uh, RAD 2X cables. Um, they just don't have one for the NES yet, but we'll talk about those later. Okay. Um, but the you can use the RetroTink 2X, which is about $100. Um, and what it does is it takes either composite S-video or component video and outputs a 480p HDMI signal. And the 480p HDMI signal, almost every modern TV will handle that without any problems. And from my understanding, and you could correct me if I'm wrong, but it it, it doesn't add any lag. It's a it's a, a zero added lag solution. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, I think by definition, it's a few microseconds. <laughs> uh, which, if if you are going to come tell me that microseconds are detectable <laughs> as lag, I have some you know beachfront property in texas <laughs> that, that doesn't make sense there is beaches there are bds on both sides of texas but uh, <laughs> yes i know what you're saying property, though. kansas how about that there you go <laughs> 
Okay, cool. So I think that that's a really good starting place to, if one of the things that Evan and I have done this, this kind of version of this chat a couple of different times now uh, at SGDQs and other times. And the, really the important thing I think to take away from this is that if you just want to get your, get up and going, you can do so with very little added expense. Uh, Use the stuff that you have available to you to try getting this stuff going at first. In fact, there are many uh, streamers who, who, uh, who speed run and submit to the leaderboards. They just use the composite and capture the composite signal. Yeah. One of the things I, I really want to emphasize to people is it is possible that you will go to this retro store, buy a Nintendo, come home, plug in the same games you played as a kid and decide you really don't like it. Um, it sounds weird. And it's not one of those like nostalgia glasses kind of thing. It's the thing that you may find that you don't like is that, where I guess it would be nostalgia. When we were kids, we only had the five or six games that we had. You know, maybe you rented a game now and then, but we didn't have 60, 60, 80, $100 in some cases I've seen for, for new games back on the Nintendo we didn't have that money. So we were reliant on our parents. And so we got a game at, you know, Christmas or Hanukkah. We got a game at our birthday and that was it. Um, so a lot of times we put a lot of mental, I'm trying to think of the word. Uh, we built a game up because it was the only games we had. Right. We thought they were great, but we look back at them now and they're not that great. <laughs> There are some classics, of course. Super Absolutely. Mario Brothers are always good. Mega Man's are always good. Um, but I, I think one of the big ones that you see a lot and it, it wavers how good people consider that game is the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles game. Mm. Great example. I know I know the angry video game nerd has railed against it. Um, some other people say it's it's just a fine game. It's just really hard. But when I was a kid, that game was awesome. You got to play as the Ninja Turtles. <laughs> Right, this is the greatest thing ever. Who knew cared if it was harder than hell? At least it seemed like it yeah. was. <laughs> Good point, great point. And I think that's, you know, one of the reasons probably why I ended up, you know, with a CRT TV because it, I, I was trying to replicate that nostalgia feeling. But to your point, there's going to be no way of getting that feel when you're eight years or 10 years old playing a game for the first time back in the 90s. There's just, it's, it's, it's nearly, it's going to be nearly impossible. <laughs> So take a, it's a good point. You got to manage your expectations when you're going through, when you're yeah. going to start doing some of this stuff. Yeah. So if you spend a hundred dollars or $200 getting this so that it's the best. Yes. And then you decide you don't like it. That was $200 you spent, you could have spent on a modern console if, <laughs> if that's better for you. Absolutely. Okay. So cool. So there's the very basic sketchy in the door. That's how you're going to get your Nintendo on your TV. There's uh, let's start off with some very um, basic modifications you can do. And I, and so I'm going to, I've already opened up my, my console. And um, when I, this is the only console I own that Evan actually hasn't worked on. <laughs> and um, when I first, uh, I, I sent it away to a professional, quote unquote professional, to get uh, some modifications done. The first thing they did was replace my 72 pin connector, which let's see if I can actually show it in here. Hey, there you can kind of see it in there. Um, why would I want to do that? What does that do? Tell me a little bit about the 72 pin connector on the Nintendo. So in Japan, the games plug directly into the top. Um, but in America, we had just gone through a video game crash, um, in the, just a couple years before the Nintendo came out. And so Nintendo decided it can't look like a video game console. So you can't just plug the game in the top of it. Like you did with your Atari 2600, people are going to hate it and dismiss it. No one wants video games. So <laughs> what we need to do is we need to make it look like a VCR. And that's why we got this style. So the way it works is you you put your game in to the the you can leave the top off that uh, but you put your game in and then when you push it down you're actually pushing the pins of the game down against the the 72 pin connector um, in a kind of a spring-loaded fashion the problem is those spring-loaded pins they wear out over time and eventually they actually uh, will just not properly connect and your games won't load. 
And there's all kinds of solutions for it. You can take it out of there and boil it in a pot, supposedly fixes it. <laughs> um, I've never Sounds done that. Uh, you can you can get in there with like a tool like this. This is uh, what they call a spudger, and you can kind of pry them up. Um, the The other thing you can do is just buy a brand new one because there's so many Nintendos, and this is such a popular system. There's like one factory in China that produces thousands a day, and they are all up on eBay, five bucks a piece. You can buy them lots of ten if you're somebody who fixes Nintendos all the time. Um, the other thing you can do that I highly recommend, and it's a basically a guaranteed fix for most of the issues you might have with a Nintendo, is get what's called a blinking light win from, I think it's Arcade Works makes it. And it it dramatically changes the way that Nintendo accepts games, uh, but it removes the spring-loaded action. You literally just slide the game in and you give it a good shove and it it goes into a cartridge connection. Um, it will hold on to it for dear life. It takes some good grip to get it back out of there, but it fixes, um, you'll, your games will work. And it also fixes issues that sometimes happens with the, um, copyright protection lockout chip. Hmm. Uh, so that also might be an issue that you have. If you've ever put your game in, push it down, press power, and then the light blinks, hence the blinking light wind name. Um, that's usually not that the game isn't being read. It's that, or not read properly. It's that the game can't make a connection to the copy chip, copy protection chip, the playten chip, or whatever. So on my console, the way it currently is configured, I actually don't have to engage the spring. It'll just play right when I pop the 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 card in. I don't know if they made that modification you're referring to. I know that oh, I don't. That, must that's have. a new design. I haven't seen that. Oh, cool. So. It, it works great and uh, depending on, but the nice thing is, and is that something that you can do on your own? Like what's the difficulty level of replacing a 72 pin connector or, or you know? Um, as long as you're not someone that loses screws, uh, you, it's 100% user replaceable. It attaches with a card edge connector to the main board. Oh, cool. So you, ac you actually just can peel it right off the board and then slide the new one on. Are there any other like maintenance type modifications that one might want to consider for a Nintendo as it's uh, you know, it is a, it's a console now that's 30 years old, you know, it's not a, a young spring chicken anymore. Um, just maintenance. Not really. Okay. Um, you might want to open yours up and just verify that there's no water damage in it. I know uh, I've seen some things too, where people play with the light or, you know, things like that, oh, like, you know, indicator yeah. light, fun stuff like that. That's not a maintenance. No, thing. no, That's absolutely not. <laughs> so, yeah, you can change the LED color out if you want. Uh, one thing you might consider doing is putting a little either rubbing alcohol or better yet, deoxit on a on a pa on a paper towel and cleaning the contacts on the uh, the video out. Um, that may improve uh, connection issues if you're getting. Oh, the actual contacts themselves are the one. Okay, yeah. gotcha. Yeah. Um, what you can do if you really want to the if you have a set of, because composite video cables are a dime a dozen, just you can dip the entire head of a composite cable in some deoxid or some rubbing alcohol and go on it, twist it around, pull it back off, go back on it, twist it around. And that'll break up a lot of corrosion or whatever. Because I can actually look at yours and see that there's a little bit of corrosion. Yep, I can see side just by, I mean, I never use this one. So I never use, I don't use the composite connectors anymore. Yeah. So, but I, yeah, I can totally see it around there. That's interesting. It's an easy uh, maintenance thing you to do. Okay, cool. Let's uh, let's let's get a look. So one of the things that struck me right away was that, um, well, because I'm a geek and I dig this stuff, <laughs> I wanted to improve the video signal like right away when I got into my Nintendo. And um, there are, I believe there are. Well, first of all, what can we do to improve the video output um, of the Nintendo? Let's start with that. <laughs> okay, so let's let's take a little another little history journey back. Um, when people started to realize, so in Europe, you could use RGB on a lot of consoles for a long time. Um, but in America, when people started realizing that you could use RGB, um, they started looking at how to use RGB on all their consoles. Um, Bob from retro RGB is, is a good example. He says, you know, I figured out that RGB was a thing. And then I was like, how do I get this on all my consoles? Yes. Every single one. That's how this how the website started um with the nintendo the early rgb upgrades which is the the most basic 
like moderate uh, best video quality upgrade you can do to it um, were to actually take the the pic pixel processing unit chips, the the video chips out of the arcade games, the Play Choice Ten game games. And put them in your NES, and then you solder a bunch of wires to it, and uh, it's the worst kind of modding because you're ruining the arcade. Yeah, board. Well, you're not ruining it, but you're you're cannibalizing an arcade board, which is even more rare for an NES, and then modifying that pixel processing unit or PPU chip, and then you're modifying your console. So now you've like destroyed two perfectly good electronics <laughs> to make one no. that won't even look like what you remember as a kid because the color palette on the play choice 10 was different oh geez okay so, uh mario instead of being uh blue and red was brown and red hmm. is that uh, not the original colors the original of mario color <laughs> so it's yeah um so from there, they started doing some more experimentation. And I don't know the exact history, but if we jump ahead to where we're at now, there's a guy in um, Australia named Tim Worthington. And he designed, uh, I th think along with somebody else, but he designed a, a upgrade board that uses um, a small FPGA and it actually interfaces with the pixel processing unit and uh, outputs RGB from that board. It actually outputs composite video, S video, and RGB. Um, this isn't ex this the board. Is this is actually the voltage regulator, but I'll we'll get into it just a little bit. I just realized what that is. But wait, why do you have a voltage regulator attached to the side of it? Well, there's a switch well, underneath, underneath, so we'll get into. Oh, so so they put so where the where the voltage regulator would have been on the board, they put in a switch. Yes. We before before we went on the air with this interview, <laughs> I was commenting that there's a lot of wires in the installation. Um, I wish I could sh open up my EverDrive and show you my installation. I, uh, there are not near that many wires in there. Um, the yeah, that's okay. So they they had to move the voltage regular regulator away which means that they're now at okay we'll critique we'll critique uh, that later <laughs> let's let's get to this um, point so, so I, if we wanted to let, let's 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 go from so we already know how to get composite out if we wanted to get s video out could we and why we would why would we choose s video let's start with that um you can't get s video out by default just because um they're the pixel processing unit doesn't handle it it the Nintendo actually generates its video signal as composite. Okay. It does not output RGB from the pixel processing unit by default, and it does not output uh, luminance and chrominance, which is what makes up S-Video, uh, by default. So that's not a mod you can go directly to. Now, other consoles, S-Video is absolutely something you can do. Uh, S-Video is output on the uh, Super Nintendo, the the Nintendo 64 and the GameCube. Okay. Um, and it it's going to be a big upgrade. If you can get to S-Video, you might notice it, that you don't really need an RGB connection. Oh, interesting. Okay. Um, I've seen, I mean... S-Video is, is much higher quality and just separating the, the, the signals, the luminance and chrominance signals makes a huge difference. For a quick example of that, I know Supersonic is a speedrunner who, um, one of, I think it's his NES, I can't remember which one, but one of his is an S-Video, uh, and he captures it that way, and it looks really good. Like, it's a big upgrade from the composite. You'll notice right away. Yeah. Um, so, okay, so there is, a, and depending on your setup, S-Video may be the best choice for you. This all, one of the things that you're going to run into is, what do you, like, what, what do you have, what do you want to make work? So... Um, I will say I'll, I can go kind of go down my line a little is that for me going component with everything was going to be the easiest choice when I first started getting consoles which was about two years ago HD retrovision had just come out with cables that made it possible to grab the RGB signal and 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 output in component um 
it looks like everyone wants to say something about that. <laughs> so I'm gonna let. Oh no, I was just gonna comment. Um, yeah, in a in a in Europe, they used these guys. There you go. Start connection. Um, and in the United States, we didn't have true RGB. What we had was uh, YPBPR, um, which is luminance, and then it's a it's a different standard. It's not just direct red, green, and blue. It it's subtractive video and um but anyway uh it output a essentially picture compatible uh like with rgb the the two will output nearly identical images um and in the late 90s and early 2000s almost every crt that came out started coming out with component video and the big reason for that was uh, because the DVD players that were coming out were coming with component video. And so it was a way to get a better signal from your DVD player. So that brings up a good question. Um, you know, when I, if I'm going to take the dive into RGB, why would I choose SCART versus component? Or, 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 or RGB, I'm sorry. Um, there's not a good answer to that. SCART cables tend to be a little cheaper. Okay. Um, regional would would that have any sort of impact or influence if I'm you know in Europe for or? sure okay it's if you live in Europe it's almost assuredly easy to get old CRTs that have a SCART RGB input on them uh, but the big reason that they're cheaper is that there's no circuitry that's necessary at least no um, active component circuitry that's necessary to convert it from the console console outputs at least the consoles that output RGB output R, G, and B and a sync signal, which is what is on some of these pins. Um, if you're uh, with uh, component video, the console is outputting RGB that has to be converted. And so um, there's actually chips in there. And that's what HD retrovision, that's the big, um, I mean, they use really good cables. That that was a big thing. But the big the innovation they had was that they they were creating the circuit to convert from RGB properly to component video. Uh, very cool. And I think that's, it's, to say the least, we're living in a great time where it seems like a month doesn't go by and there's not something, some sort of new or innovation innovation in the space of all this stuff. Um, so let's get to the mod. Um, if I, so I've decided I'm going to take a plunge. I'd like to get the RGB signal out of uh, my NES. What does that mean? What do I have to do? Is it possible that I can do it myself? I know there's like 8,000 questions, but let's, let's start with the, I mean, is it something, first of all, I could take on my own? Could I try to do this on my own? If you are an experienced solderer, yes. Okay. But I don't recommend it. Okay. And that's not, I'm not someone that sells my modding services, um, be, just, mainly because I don't want to be responsible for someone's, <laughs> someone else's property. Um, <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Uh, like, with Matt's stuff, I, I I feel comfortable that if I screw something up, I will replace it for him. I don't want to screw something up and have to replace 10 Nintendos or whatever. Totally. Um, the I, I recommend it just because a professional modder is going to do a better job and is going to be very reliable. Um, Plus you have some recourse, you know, there's a little bit of a, yes. you know, if you're working with a professional, many oftentimes, in fact, this one, I, I got a warranty with my modification with this one. That's the one thing I will yeah. say is that I got a warranty with it. It only lasted a year yeah. or it was 90 days, but it was it's glad that I had one. Um, looking, as we were saying earlier, looking at this mod, this would be probably someone that's early to the modification. Um, actually, you know what, now that I look around, this, it's not that bad. Those cables in the bottom corner, I thought might be weird video cables. They're not. They're the controller connection cables. I'm I'm kind of dumb here. I would also um, say, Evan, I do want to preface this, is that I was given the option of where to put some of these things. He actually sent me okay. photos along the way yep. and not knowing what I was getting into. I probably should have called you okay. at this point <laughs> and asked, hey, where's the best place for this? This is where it, one of the options. So that's, I chose this. So I, I will say this is indicative of a much older um, mod. Yeah. Uh, nowadays, what you see a lot of times is they'll actually remove the RF 
uh, adapter section, the, the, you can see the capacitor in the upper right-hand corner of the, the, that's the RF, uh, area. Um, they'll remove that portion of the, the board and, uh, replace that with a 3d printed, uh, and a circuit board, uh, multi-out. And so you can have, use your super Nintendo cables, just like anybody else. That's, um, awesome. that's kind of the modern way to do that. That would have been nice. I wish I had that option. That would have been awesome. Yeah, it does require cutting the console, um, which is some people don't like. I'm not a big fan of it. Um, that said, I don't think that this mod is going to be obsolete in a few years. So cutting it's not that big of a deal. So there is, you mentioned soldering because obviously because of the connections you're going to have to make, but there is, I mean, there, there, there's a, it, you have to walk me through cause I don't, I'm going to get the terminology wrong, but there's a little, oh. there's a little board that comes with the RGB mod. Is that correct? Or a little chip? Yeah. Thing? So the, the boards may be the size of a business card. Okay. Um, and it has, it has all the circuitry necessary for the RGB on it. Um, what you then have to do is you have to um, assemble the uh, interposer. Uh, it's not even an interposer, I guess. It's the way it works is um, you actually remove the. So that's the hard part is actually removing the pixel processing unit. Um, I have a desoldering gun, and that made it super quick and easy when I do it. Um, but if you have to do it by hand, it may take you a while. Um, but you have to remove all the solder off the 40 pins of the pixel processing unit and pull it out of the console wow. and then attach a uh, set of um, pin headers. You, you attach a socket, then a set of pin headers, and then another socket onto the RGB board, and then you put the pixel processing on. So basically it's going to, the, the RGB board sits in between the pixel processing unit. So yeah, it is an interposer uh, and the, the console itself. Got it. Okay. <laughs> so it, just hearing you talk through it, it's not something that's, yeah. uh, it's not a basic type of thing. There is going to, there are, no. there's definitely some things that make this intricate and, 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 and detailed. And there are mods out there for other consoles. I would absolutely say can be done by an average person. Um, the N64 RGB mod, if you have one of the early N64s that is easy to do, that one is easy. Um, and and if you have a, any decent soldering skill, it's something you can do. Um, so I'm hoping that we could cover some of the other consoles in, in later episodes because oh, um, Evan did do the N64 RGB mod for me. And I think that it's, to your point, it was, I remember watching you stream it and it was it was something that, even though I don't have any soldering skills, it looks like if I developed some soldering skills, it's something I could take on that I could actually be done. Yeah. So, uh, oh, oh, sorry, go ahead. I didn't interrupt. No, go ahead. What I was going to say is once you've gotten all of that done, um, I, I've heard mentioned quite often that once you have it open, why not consider recapping, quote unquote, uh, your NES? What is recapping? What does that do? What are the benefits? And is that something you should do? <laughs> I did it to mine. Okay. Um, so, what what he's talk what Matt's talking about here is um, that you could. There are capacitors, and a, a good example is that big one that you can see in the corner there. Um, yeah, that one that. My uh, missing it. There it yep. <laughs> Video. <a> little <laughs> that one that <laughs> Yeah. So that's the that's the power uh, filter capacitor, specifically. But there's uh, on the NES. There's about seven or eight of them, I think. It's not a lot. Oh, okay. Um, but those do go bad over time. Luckily, the Nintendo was made, the NES was made at a time when they were still using good ones. In the early 90s, they somebody came up with a cheaper way of making capacitors, and everybody switched to that because, you know, if you save 12 cents on... <laughs> 10 million or a hundred million <laughs> units. That's a lot of money you yeah. save. Um, and those started leaking eventually or blowing up and it was, a, it's a big mess. It destroys electronics. Um, they do age though. And, and your NES is 30 nearing 35 years old. And some Jeez. Um, that doesn't make me feel any younger. <laughs> yeah. So 
it may be worth it. And and any good modder that you find out there will offer that as a service. Um, it it probably won't be too expensive. It may be tw a $20 or $30 add-on. Um, I would suggest going ahead and getting it done um, as long as they promise you that they're going to use good capacitors. Um, there's some, I, I could name off some brands, but there's, you know, a hundred brands of capacitors, but Nichicon, Panasonic, those are good capacitors. Uh, as long as they're going to use good ones, it's worth it. If only because it means that your console is going to last you another 30, 35 years. The It'll advice last you, so you can pass it on to your great grandchildren. And I mean, that's the idea here. We're trying to preserve these consoles so that we can continue yeah. playing them. Um, I, I, I have heard that, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, that the capacitor replacement on any console is a really, that's a good starting project. When you're, if you yes. want to try something yourself, that's something like you could actually take on yourself. Yeah, um, I would do it on something like a Nintendo okay. rather than maybe a Turbo Graphics or a Core Graphics. <laughs> um, the, when I did your Core Graphics, it has like 30 capacitors. Oh my God, I didn't realize it was that many. I'm so sorry. <laughs> yeah, and they're all really close. A lot of them are really close together. <laughs> so, so it was a project. Uh, yeah, it was a project. I ended up spending a couple hours doing it. Um, um, Good. Yeah, it, the really nice thing is uh, if you go to Console 5, um, they've put together uh, capacitor kits. Oh, cool. So they'll send you all the capacitors you need. They're all good brands. Um, and they on their website, they have a wiki that has capacitor listings for all the versions of the consoles. So uh, you can desolder all the capacitors out pull them all out and then go back and install them. And you'll actually have a listing that says C six is this type of capacitor and C eight is this type of capacitor, hmm. uh, which otherwise, if you didn't ha already have that list, you would actually have to one at a time, remove the capacitor, install the new one. And that becomes really annoying because it's easy sometimes to lose track of which ones you've installed, which one. Okay. Good call. Thank Good you so much call. for that info. That's like, I think it's really helpful. And I think it's, um, especially as we get to other consoles where we'll talk about how it impacts the vi video signal. Um, it seems like Nintendo, that's one of the areas they actually, I mean, not, I, it seems like it was done pretty well on the original NES console. So I don't hear as much of an uproar as I do <laughs> about some of the other consoles where it becomes a much yeah. more significant issue. Okay, so let's so we've 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 opened up our Nintendo. We've uh, we've let's say we've wanted let's say we've done the capacitor. We've done our seventy two pin. We've done our RGB. We've done all these kind of things that we could do. You mentioned that we could drill some holes. Let's say we did the multi out with our RGB mod. We could uh we could modify it here on mine. Excuse me. It would actually be on the back side. Correct. Where the R. So I was able to, the the board modification at the time created this sort of output, which is just, this is how I got my component signals out. And that's yep. or RGB out, I should say, red, green, blue. And you just pop that guy in there and that, then you can not send RGB. it out to your component. It's not RGB? No, it's component. It's uh, YPBPR. So ah, the green gotcha. is Y, uh, the blue is PB, and the uh, the red is PR. Dude, thank you for correcting me. I've always, I've been curious. Like, I know I'm screwing it up when I say it. So educational for myself as well. Um, so hold on. Yeah, no problem. I um, will. So one of the things, not, depending on your setup, I, I, I will say that it will work if I take component cables from here and I plug it into a modern TV that has a component input, it will, um, it'll work right away depending on the TV. And in fact, I've even noticed I have two different TVs. I have a Vizio and a Samsung on the Samsung. I can get almost a close to CRT experience. Not exactly, but close. And with the Vizio, it's real. There's a lot of lag just going component straight in. Yeah. And what um, you got? I was going to show you. So this looks familiar to you, I'm sure. Um, hey, there you go. So this this is a good example of, uh, this actually has R, G, R, they're in weird order, but R, yeah. G, and B uh, outputs. And those are actually RGB. So it's not easy, or it, it's very easy to be confused and and they didn't make it easy by using the same types of colors for component video that they did for RGB. Oh, good to know. For reference, Evan was showing the uh, uh, 
RGB or the uh, the RGB output uh, from a TurboGrafx 16 or a PC Engine card. So. Yeah, the, the little mod board. Okay, cool. Um, one of the things that I learned right away is that it looks good uh, when I put that on stream, but all that I'm getting out from this is 240p or as depending on which the way your TV interprets, like you were saying, Evan, sometimes you might actually see a 480i display. Um, so if we wanted to take the, if we wanted to capture that at the highest possible quality, let's say we're, uh, you know, I want to, I want to put it on the stream. I want it to look as good as possible. Um, one of the areas I found right away was that you could, you could get into scaling and I, we won't spend too much time. We could probably do a whole episode just on scalers, but this is the one that I use. And that is, is I would say pretty common nowadays. This is the OSSC. Yeah. And what, what I can do here is I can go directly from here into the OSSC and it outputs in HDMI. And it's simply, I mean, Evan, you could speak, what, what is it? It's a line doubler, right? It's, it doubles the, the, the it's, resolution. Yes. So, um, we talked about the RetroTank 2X earlier. That's a true line doubler. It does literally doubles lines. Um, the OSSC is a little bit more expensive. It's about twice as much, but it is much more versatile. It will take in almost any video signal you can give it, including you'll notice on it that it has um, a SCART connection, a uh, component video connection, and a VGA connection. Um, it will take nearly any re resolution you give it, and it will output a um, uh, HDMI signal. Now, the HDMI signal, because it's not doing what's, it doesn't have what's called a frame buffer, so it's not loading a whole picture into the frame buffer and then outputting it over HDMI. Um, it's doing line by line. That's what makes it fast and makes it so that there's no lag, but it also makes it so that the HDMI output is not always compatible with every TV and is not always compatible in every mode because it actually offers a line 2X, a line 3X, a line 4X, and a line 5X mode. Um, the line 5X mode is like, fifth, what's 240 it's, times five? I know it's is some that, weird resolution that I can't remember it, the name. No, it's because 4X is, the, is 960P. So it's uh, 1200P. That's right. There you which, go. No, which no consumer TV is going to support, although modern 4K TVs might. And rarely, I mean, people will, people but will. there's not a lot of people capturing people in that resolution for, you know, for streaming or just for, you know, for video on, on online or whatever. Yeah, you'd have to have a 4K right. capture device. And the, those are, while they're, they exist and they're, they're just really expensive right now. Opponent in the chat saying he has a RetroTank 2X, which is awesome. I'm curious, do you use it for streaming, uh, opponent? I want to ask because I've seen opponent stream and it actually looks really, uh, It's it's got a really nice capture on it for his retro consoles. Yeah, if you if you go back and look at our um, our panel we did at SGDQ this summer, uh, we we all talked about the RetroTank and I brought up um, specifically the reason I really like the RetroTank 2X is that you can get an HDMI capture device that supports 480p for probably $20 on eBay. Good ones, Elgato and and um, combine it with a retro tank and you can stream. It, right. it, it'll work perfectly. Um, I would get an HDMI splitter. Hmm. Those you can get on uh, Amazon. If all you're do looking to do is split HDMI, they work great. If you're looking to do some processing on the video signal, let's say, uh, you need specific models of splitters, but uh, you can always ask me about that later. An opponent mentions that he uses it for S-Video Capture, the RetroTINK, which is, it, it, that's actually a really good use case of it. We were talking about S-Video earlier, but once again, if you take a look at opponent's stream, the, the video quality is quite good. And he was saying that he's run into some, uh, accepting some of the analog signal. Depend so once you start getting into the capture part of this and the streaming part of this, you'll notice that not everything works well with each other. Um, I just have an El Elgato game capture and it handled the 240p and the 480i fine. Everything else, it just, it would refuse to um, capture it. So like when I tried uh, 3Xing and 4Xing, that's when I hit walls with my Elgato, um, which well, I thought was kind of interesting. The other thing you'll notice with the um, with the Elgato is if you try to use component video, it doesn't accept 240p over component. Oh, really? Interesting. Okay, I, I don't even remember it'll, that happening. It'll accept it over composite, hmm. but not over component. Um, 
and that's something we ran into on another streamer's right. uh, setup that we were trying to mess with. Um, if you want to be a really madman, uh, you can combine a RetroTink 2X and a OSSC into one device or one com composite device um, by converting the HDMI out from the RetroTink to VGA and then feeding that into the OSSC. And what that provides you with, you might think, well, why would you need to do that? Um, that provides you with a composite and an S-video input into your OSSC. And I will say that this is a great time to, um, our, our we did SGDQ 2019. Um, we had a hardware panel with myself, Evan, uh, Tina Hacks, and Duango AC, the Taskbot guy. Um, and we get into this stuff real geek. And it, it's, it's we go down the rabbit hole and I highly recommend it if you haven't seen it. Um, but I would also say that I'm going to include it in the feed at some point here on the podcast. So you will get a chance to hear it, but it really goes down the rabbit hole because like another thing I, you know, Evan, a long time ago, when I first started, recommended the Datapath Vision cards and they accept almost anything I've ever thrown at it, including right now it's capturing the video. Like I'm putting an HD camera through it. It accepts every type of uh, retro console I put through it. Like it's just a beast. Yeah, it's, it has really, I, I don't even want to say loose. It will accept literally any video timing you pass. Exactly. So it, and it will accept up to 1080p and up to 60 frames per second um, with without a hiccup. It uh, The one thing you'll notice is if you start capturing, um, you may start seeing things on your computer that you never saw on your CRT <laughs> or even maybe on your, your home TV because it captures everything. <laughs> And I will say too that a lot of times you can find them used on eBay for under a hundred dollars US. Um, most of them, most of the time, you'll see them around one hundred and thirty. But I, I have bought two now, and both of them have been under a hundred dollars. And I bought one recently, as three months ago, that was under a hundred bucks. Yeah. So um, this is a good question. Opponent asked, "Would you happen to know if the OSSC accepts fifty-five hertz signals from arcade boards?" I believe the answer is yes, but I Evan looks like he has an answer. Uh, it probably does. Um, the one thing to be wary of is that you need a, it does not accept what's known as TTL level, uh, sync, which is what an arcade board would output. Um, so you need some sort of device that attenuates the sync in between. Um, if you have a super gun that would, uh, a properly built super gun would do that. Um, and if you're not sure if you, if you've never heard of a super gun, it's just a device that basically allows you to take an arcade board and interface it with video out and the controller inputs. So you can run an arcade board on your TV at home. So these, uh, that's actually some really good questions. And we maybe we'll just do an episode just on scalers and things like that, because I know a lot of us who are into the retro thing love getting the best quality video we can out of it. So I know it's it's something I, I still am, am uh, striding for today. Uh, basically, I don't on the retro consoles, I want to RGB mod every single one of them. <laughs> you know, I want to get the, the so it's a, it's a great, uh, it's a great um, topic of conversation. Um, I want to move forward just a little bit here. And so Evan, if I were, I'm a speedrunner. I, I I want to submit to the leaderboard. I want to have a, a, a properly judged um, speedrun. If I modify my console, does that affect the way that a speedrun might be judged or that is looked at or, or how does that affect that part of it? It depends on the modification. Okay. So we can start at the ones that clearly won't affect it at all, which is like changing out the LED lights and that kind of stuff. Um, that won't affect it at all. Uh, RGB modding shouldn't affect it. Um, if you mod so that the Nintendo, one of the options for a mod is a um, HDMI. It's called the high deafness. Mm -hmm. mod and you can actually mod it to output hdmi instead of rgb i believe that that prop outputs a proper hdmi signal which may be faster or slower than the nes uh naturally outputs it shouldn't make a difference for speed running the video may be a little weird um in that you might see some tearing or that kind of thing um, but it shouldn't affect it. There are situations where mods could um, affect it. A good example is the new um, Game Boy 
advanced consoleizer mm. in order to output the video at an HDMI compatible signal, I believe they actually had to speed it up slightly. Oh, interesting. And so in speeding it up slightly, um, it made it so that now your console is running or your, your Game Boy Advance is running faster. So your times wouldn't be valid. Um, somebody will probably correct me on this in YouTube comments later. And I, I Please. welcome. Um, That's how we learn. Yeah. But I believe that they've announced that there is a, there's going to be a speedrunner mode if in the firmware, if not in the current firmware, it's going to be added in a future firmware that would run it at its native speed, but the HDMI may not be compatible with all displays. That's the, that's the trade-off. And, and the cardinal rule for all of this is check the rules of uh, the leaderboard before you submit a run. And yes. then I would also say that if you're just wanting to get started, these type of things uh, have play very little. Uh, if you just want to get started with speed running, don't let these be the barrier to get you, you know, learning the skills and the techniques you need to play the game well. <laughs> yeah, in our in our panel with Lack Attack a couple of years ago, one of the things we talked about was um, that a lot of the a lot of the games that are out there that can be speed run um, are don't require proper console verification until you get into the like top five or ten percent of right. times mm -hmm. um, just because they would rather have people putting in times that are not exactly kosher um, but are playing the game than to demand that everyone go out and buy a real copy of a five hundred a thousand dollar nes game in some cases depending so, on what you're doing um they'd much rather have you try it and and get a, t a time on there and then when we talk about world records then we'll talk about like it be needing to be on official console with an official and uh, just to be perfectly honest with you, we talked about this, like you said, with, with during the panel with Lack, is that it's that's that's going to be important for the most competitive games at the highest level. So we're talking about your Mario, Zelda's, Metroid's, Mega Man's at the the top ten times, you know. So yep. oh. <laughs> my uh, my dog is dreaming. I don't know if you just heard him in the background, but uh, okay, cool. So I think the the cardinal rule there is just always check the leaderboard and check the rules before you submit. Um. As we start to wrap this thing up, what are some good resources? Where should I be looking? If I'm into any of this, what are some good places to get uh, some good info? Um, if you're interested in the whole RGB thing, uh, retrorgb.com, um, that has become not only a repository for all the knowledge we have about this stuff, or at least most of the knowledge. Um, pardon me. <clears throat> The, it has also become a new site for how this, uh, how retro gaming is changing. Um, there's new articles on all the new things. There's daily, there's new articles. Um, and they cover everything from uh, just, hey, this new uh, homebrew game to uh, anytime there's a Mr. Core release, there's a news article about it. Um, and I want to add on that us. the guy who runs it is an enthusiast and he is learning just as much as we all are as we're going through it. Yeah. He's uh, yeah. he's by trade. He's not a, a hardware engineer or anything like that. So you get a really good understanding of everything that gets posted, but also he's covering it on his, this is his day job nowadays. And Bob runs a podcast. It's really awesome. I, I highly recommend mm -hmm. retro RGB. That's where I, that's yeah. actually where I uh, hired my, uh, my modder for my NES. Okay. Yeah, if you got one that was that was recommended from there, then then I will assume that the the work done. I will I will no longer uh, <laughs> cast aspersions to the work that was done. Uh, I it I was quick to jump and say, ah, oh, that looks terrible. But well, really anytime doesn't. you see wires, though, I I'm the same way. You get concerned, like, huh? <laughs> yeah. Um, if you um, if you're interested in doing the modding portion. Um, Voltar's videos on YouTube are really good. Um, and he, uh, he does a good job of really casually telling you how bad this previous modder had done work without being a jerk. Enough. Slight disclaimer. Some of his videos are NSFW, so they're not, so oh, don't watch all... them at work. So just beware on that side of things. Yeah. Um, but his work's amazing. He's incredible. Visual, it's just his language. Right. Um, I'm trying to think of what else I would look at. Those two sources are really good. If you get deep down the rabbit hole, um, 
both of those guys are on a podcast called the Retro Roundtable, and they go deep into like electrical engineering and stuff like that. And I don't recommend, I, I recommend it as a podcast. I don't recommend you know what the hell you're listening to because <laughs> they're two or three hours long yeah and they will talk about you know like signal attenuation and stuff like that that you probably don't need to listen to um beware of the youtubers out there that's the one thing i'll pass on and i don't want to i'm not i'm literally not going to name it in this case um there's been some drama the last few weeks on the Twitters, so I know you're. Yeah, you're, but just be aware that some YouTubers uh, don't know what they're talking about, and or receive products for free hmm. and give good reviews willy nilly. They don't. They don't. They don't properly criticize products. And when I say criticize, I mean both in good and way yeah, critical your critical thinking of the yes. yeah they're not they're not using critical thinking they're just saying well this person paid me or this person gave me this free product um i want to continue to get free products in the future so i'm going to say it's a great thing and that means that their million plus followers or subscribers some of them are going to go out and buy the product and go this is terrible why did i buy this and I think that's, not, you know, they're not going to get a refund and they're not that that's not going to change that person, that YouTuber's mind. And this brings up another good point. And that's, you know, you don't have to tr don't do some research um, when you're you're going down this rabbit hole. Um, I know one of the things that I struggled with when I first uh, attempted or when I first got into this was I it. I didn't want to bother a streamer while they were doing a stream, asking them what their setup was and how they did it. So for speedrunners, it's very, it's, it's challenging sometimes to take on some of these questions as we're streaming. So if you can get involved in a discord community and that's, that's a great place to ask questions. Twitter is another one. Um, I hate to bombard retro Bob, but like if you, Bob responds to almost any comment you send him. So he's a great resource and his web retro RGB is, um, but to, to Evan's point, um, if you don't, see something that looks cool, don't don't tweet, don't tweet it, Bob. Don't tweet it, Bob. <laughs> no, don't do not it. That, not that he's not a great resource. Don't give him eight hundred million more tweets <laughs> to deal with. Uh, I, you can tweet at me, and there you go. And you can tweet at whoever. You can tweet at Bob if you want, but I'm not encouraging people to go out there and and give him a bunch of more traffic. Follow him. Follow him. There Follow you go. Yeah. He'll post enough to, yeah, yeah. It's good resource. Yeah. That's a good point. But don't, don't bombard him with tweets. That's a very uh, good point. Uh, the, the other bit I wanted to mention sure. is, um, this is another one of those soapbox kind of things, is if you go to eBay to buy a modded comp, do not, and I mean 100% of the time, do not buy a modded console that does not have pictures of the console open Ooh, good, good in the, the eBay listing. Um, because you have no idea what the actual mod quality is until you get it home and you likely will have trouble getting a refund from there. Um, so I would also say that's actually Voltar is a great example of that he'll post he's posted videos of uh, consoles he's worked on that he purchased off of eBay specifically because of how bad they were. Yeah. Yeah. So so um, and it's funny because uh, one of the early videos that Voltar did was um, there was a Japanese modder uh, Dujin dance or Dojin dance or something some that basically and he did like Voltar did like six videos in a row fixing his terrible mod work. Right. And now if you go on eBay, he has pictures of all his mod work. He has properly designed circuit boards for so his cool. mods rather than oh, just a bunch of wires. Yeah. He, yeah. he actively wanted to get better and he, he made a difference. Now, again, make sure there's a picture, but mm -hmm. he's not someone I would steer someone away from anymore. That's awesome. That is so cool that they, and then that's, I think that that highlights a great uh, point about how the, um, the community, but also that the technology and there's a ton of innovations happening on a daily basis. You can find a qualified modifier nowadays, person who will modify your consoles. Yeah. And, and 
just remember when we criticize people, it's not because we want them to stop doing what they're doing. We, we want them to stop doing specifically what they're doing. We don't want them to stop their love of video games, no. stop modding consoles. Mm -hmm. We just want them to do it the right way. Mm -hmm. And that makes it better for us all. Because <laughs> because a lot of times too, when you're going to eBay, you don't have all this knowledge. And that's kind of their idea of a, of, a, of a podcast like this is that you hopefully can get a better understanding so you know what you're looking for. Um, yeah. Evan, speaking of the tweetings, where, so actually before I get to that, um, I just wanted to say a, a personal thank you to Evan because I honestly had absolutely no knowledge of what I was doing. And I still, as you can tell, I'm still learning. I, I don't have the best grasp of all of this stuff. Evan um, and I, we, we, I should say, Evan was the first person to to um, uh, judge one of my um, my TurboGrafx 16 um, speed runs on Bonks Revenge, and that's how I met him. And so he uh, he he the, the knowledge and the work that he's done for everything I've done, I'm so ever uh, thankful for you. If you uh, want to see Evan talk about video games, check out SGDQ 2018 Bonks Revenge run at uh, SGDQ, <laughs> and you can hear his video game commentary because he's great. Um, um, good. Yeah, my wife actually asked me the other day, how did you meet Matt? And I, I told her that story. I said, well, he submitted a Bonk's Revenge time and I was the, the mod for the game. So I, I watched it and I added him on Twitch and then I, uh, I went and saw him on Twitch yeah. and then we started talking and then I was like, hey, you should submit this for SGDQ. And if you do, I'll come be on the couch. And so, so you submitted and not it. And so I came and was on the couch. And uh, the story I... I always like to tell and i'm going to embarrass matt here please is i, I show up with a uh, air mattress and the room is a king-size bed and about a foot around the king-size bed <laughs> so, so there is nowhere to put an air mattress so i have met matt this morning yeah this afternoon and that night we were uh bedmates we were sleeping in the same bed <laughs> within 24 hours of knowing each other and and this last year we we were like oh we got a we got a suite it's got a king bed and a pullout couch and we pull the pullout couch and it is the least comfortable thing ever. It's like there's so, a broomstick handle in the back of your, you know, in your lower back. Yeah. It was not comfortable. So, shared a king size bed again. <laughs> I think next year we just need to forego any, uh, any pretense and just get a room with king bed and be done with it. Right, right. Why even bother? You know, what the heck? <laughs> no, if we can get two queens, that'd be great. But, uh, well, it, it highlights what's what I love about this community and what I love about speedrunning and retro and everything is that um, two years ago, I didn't know Evan existed. And uh, now I would consider him a very good friend um, because of all the things that, you know, we we, we share a very, an affinity for the same thing. Um, Evan, if somebody would like to hit you up with some questions or just uh, in general, get to know you, where would be a good place to find you? The easiest place is on Twitter. Um, and he, what is I'm your Twitter handle? Twitter, uh, my Twitter handle is Evan Grill, just like you see it on the screen there. Um, if you're listening to the audio podcast, it's at E-V-A-N-G-R-I-L-L. And I do have and, to say that one of the selfish reasons I wanted to do this episode with Evan is because I'd love him to stream some more console mods and more hardware stuff. I know he's, he, he just, he's probably looking for, uh, you know, you probably want to get on with your career in real life, but I just, I really loved that kind of content that you were creating. Yeah. The big thing I have to do is just clean up. I need more storage space. I, my, my workbench has gotten to the point that it's kind of a, a mess <laughs> um hopefully uh i i just bought the parts to build a bench power supply so once i get mm -hmm. that built i might be able to put some of this stuff on top of that and so i might have a little bit more but i need i need some sort of cabinet in here to put stuff in um it, it doesn't help that i have a 27 inch imac sitting on my workbench right now <laughs> uh, it, it's really nice because i can pull up if i'm doing uh mod work or something, I can pull up a schematic, I right. can pull up instruction guide right on the screen, I can see my Twitch chat, um, but it's also eats like a third of the table. <laughs> well, Evan, thank you so much for doing this and uh, thanks for your time. I appreciate all the all the of info course. and the knowledge. Yeah.